0: Well hello, welcome to the last session of the recovery course. Um, How good does that sound? Uh, All I can say is congratulations, you've made it. I I think you've been absolutely brilliant. Because this is not an easy course. Let's just quickly recap where this journey has led us over these last four months that we've been coming. Because we've travelled a very difficult, and at times, rocky road. First of all, if you remember, back in step one, we had to face up to our denial. Uh, Then we had to look at the madness of our addiction. We then got to step three, where we were encouraged to put our life into the care of God. In steps four and five, we took a long, hard, honest look at our life in the areas of resentment and those areas of deep shame that have built up over the years. And then in step five, we were, have been encouraged to confess and share our shortcomings. We then got to step six and seven, where we humbly gave God permission to begin to reorder our lives, begin to remove our character defects, and by doing that, turning us into the people that not, not only he, but we deep down have longed to be. And up to step seven, it was all about me, all about us as an individual. And then in steps eight and nine, we started to restore our relationships with others. And we made a list of all those, that, uh, all those people we've harmed and became willing to make amends to them without expecting to get anything in return. That is an extraordinary journey, which, putting it bluntly, most people in the church don't have the courage to do. But you have. And you can really give yourself a pat on the back for that. Last couple of weeks, in steps 10 and 11, we have been considering how, if you like, we can keep on the straight and narrow and minimize the possibility of lapsing back into old ways. And so now, in the final session, it's a question of where to now? The good news is that four months ago, we may have felt that we were at the end of the road. But today, we're actually at the beginning of a new journey. Step 12 says this, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to those still in active addiction and to practise these principles in all our affairs. And with that, uh, I put a verse that St. Paul wrote in the Letters to the Gal- Galatians where he encourages us with these words. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore them. Save your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. In this this twelfth step, this twelfth step, in AA, they call it the giving back step. So what does it mean when it says we tried to carry this message to those still in active addiction? In the Bible, there are various key words that keep on coming up time and time again. And some of them we have looked at. So, for instance, that word joy actually appears in the Bible 241 times. And that's why we can expect joy to be an important component of our lives from here on in. The word believe appears 289 times. The word pray appears 367 times. So again, obviously, praying, prayer is an important component of our life, and that was something that we looked at last week. What word comes in the Bible more than those? Some of you will probably say, it's got to be love, hasn't it? Well, Love does appear in the Bible 686 times. But there's one word that appears more than twice all of those put together. And that's the word give, given or gave. That word give appears 2,668 times. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells us, freely you have received, freely give. And so step 12 is talking about giving ourselves without any expectation of receiving anything in return. Our desire is to be used by God both in the things we say and the things we do in telling others, if you like, of this good news that we've begun to hear and begun to experience. In Romans 8, St. Paul says this, with God on our side, how can we lose? He goes on, if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst, by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And once we begin to take this unconditional love fully to heart, maybe we could ask ourselves, in that case, is there anything I wouldn't gladly and freely do for him? We are all made in the image of God. Every single one of us here, no exceptions, doesn't matter what our history is, we are all essentially good people. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And we are most like God when we give ourselves to him and to those people around us. A few chapters later in that letter to Romans, uh, Paul writes this, he says, "'Therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, we say to God, you can use all of me as you see fit. Everything that we call our own, you know, our gifts, our talents, our time, our possessions, we now hold with a loose grip. It all comes from God in the first place, and now is the time to offer it all back for Him to use as He desires. It's been said that the world is full of two kinds of people givers and takers. The takers eat well, the givers sleep well. So I'd encourage you be a giver. The wonderful thing I find about this course is that it's a team effort. Look through the 12 steps and the words I and my are never mentioned, not once. The words we and our appear in those 12 steps 23 times. So we don't actually travel this road to recovery on our own. It's a program that works in community. In the Old Testament, there's a book called Ecclesiastes, and there it talks about how living this life in partnership with others uh, is the right way forward. It says it's better to have a partner than go it alone. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, tough. By yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. So, if someone asks you to help on the next course, why not think about it? Newcomers will be inspired and encouraged by the journey you are traveling. Your response to this suggestion might be one of incredulity. And you say, look, hang on, my life is still a mess. I'm hardly sorted at all. How on earth can I be of any help to someone else? Well, it's actually dead simple because... You may only feel as though you're a few hundred yards down the road to recovery, but that is still a few hundred yards down the road from the next person who comes on it and is starting at the beginning. And so people will be inspired by the stuff that you are beginning to, if you like, apply to your own life. I hope the one thing that you've learned over this last four months is that God never, ever wastes the tiniest part of our history, no matter how pointless and destructive we may have felt it was at the time. Some of us have been badly hurt, but the glorious truth is that God can use the most painful parts of our history if we let him. And he will use the stuff we have gone through in order to give hope to others who are going through the same living hell as we were. I think the the amazing thing about hearing some of the stories that have been shared on this course is they're so encouraging. They give each one of us hope. Where will we be today if the people who'd shared their stories had kept it all to themselves. Probably in a very different place. In 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, there's St. Paul again, writes this. All praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Isn't that extraordinary? I don't know about you, I long to play God. Love the opportunity to play God. Unfortunately, I love to play God in inappropriate ways. What this verse tells me is when I draw alongside another person who's struggling, I am playing God. He is doing it through me. He's, for some reason, has chosen to partner with every single one of us here. And the things he wants to get done only tend to happen when we say yes to his request. I'm prepared to do that. I'm prepared to draw alongside that person. That is an enormous privilege. And I don't mean that in a, it can sometimes be a a rather Christian cliche sense. Oh, what a privilege that we are serving the Lord. But it is a privilege that God looks at us who are probably considered by most people who wear masks as to be the dregs, the people on the fringes, the highly flawed people who really need to be kept at arm's length. God sees us differently. He sees us as his right-hand men and women. I think that's extraordinary. In our addiction, we have subjected ourselves, and especially those who love us the most, to a great deal of pain. And as we pressed the self-destruct button, we could see little that was good flowing out of us. Hopefully now we are beginning to experience the truth that again is expressed in this letter to the Romans that Paul wrote, where he writes this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So nothing that has gone before is wasted if we're willing to give it away. When one thinks about serving others, it doesn't sound very appealing, does it? In fact, it sounds like a lot of hard work for very little reward. But, as soon as we start, we actually begin to find that serving others is a real pleasure. And actually, it turns out to be far more pleasurable than serving ourselves, which is something I have done all my life. In fact, we can end up getting such a kick out of serving others, that we can end up feeling a bit guilty that we seem to be getting more out of it than the person we are trying to serve. You will notice that the first few words of step 12 are, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Now, we might comment (coughs) at this point well, I'm still waiting for my spiritual awakening. When is it going to happen? I mean, maybe my faith is probably not strong enough yet. Maybe I didn't confess enough things in step five, and so on. No, note the past tense of this step. Having had. So by the time we get to this step, It has already happened. Maybe we just haven't noticed. Maybe we're looking for the big explosive firework display. The big spiritual encounter. Whereas in fact God often works in very quiet ways with us. Let me put it like this. I've heard it said that imagine you are in Paris and you decide to take the night train to Berlin. At some point, you will cross the border between France and Germany. Now, those who are awake will know the exact time they cross from one country into the other. But those who were sleeping will not have a clue. All they know is that they have woken up in Berlin. And so it is with faith in God. Some of us may be able to point to an exact place and time when we had a spiritual experience. But for most of us we don't know exactly when we crossed the border. We just feel or know that we have arrived. And don't despise this quiet way of things developing. I've known people who've had, whoa, an amazing crash-bang-wallop experience. And they're absolutely motoring. Two years later, they're nowhere. The novelty's worn off. They've moved on to other things. It was very much experience-based. I've known other folk who, in a sense, their spiritual journey's been a little bit more dogged, a little less exciting and inspiring. 20 years down the line, they're still there. They're still doing the stuff. And I know what I'd rather be. I'd rather be the person still doing the stuff than the person who looks back and says, oh, yeah, I remember doing that once, but I've now moved on to other things. So don't despise, We mustn't despise the small things. Ask yourself this. If you're doubting, well, have I had a spiritual experience? Have I arrived? Ask yourself this, what person, what kind of person, was I six months ago? At the point maybe I was really enslaved to my addiction. And the adjectives that we come up with will probably be none too flattering. So we'll think, well, I was selfish, hard, devious, uncaring, self-centred lazy and so on. And you probably couldn't see really any good about you at all. Now ask yourself this, we're four months on, what kind of person am I now? Now some of us will still use adjectives that may still be quite negative, but in among them all there probably will be attributes that we may have never used before to describe ourselves. Well, I'm probably a bit more positive. I'm honest. I'm happier. I think I'm probably a bit more trustworthy. I'm grateful. I'm more loving than I was. I'm probably a bit more fair-minded than I was. I'm more contented than I was. I'm more at peace. Now, these are attributes that we may have been strangers to even just a few weeks ago. question is, where did they come from? Because they didn't just appear out of the blue. People talk about old people being um, older and wiser. Not the old people I've met. They're more grouchy, more irascible. Pain in the neck. Not all old people, but many of them. We don't get better as we get older, as a, by and large, do we? Our faults get bigger and everything else begins to shrivel a bit, in general. So if you have begun to change and positive things have begun to happen, where have they come from? Maybe step six and seven are beginning to work. Maybe when we said that prayer, if you're up there, I would love it if you began to change me into the person I'm meant to be, that actually he's taken that word at face value and he's begun to do it. Maybe it's the result of God working within each one of us, slowly transforming us into the person that deep down we too are longing to be. If you're really honest with yourselves and you think that that might possibly be happening, then in other words, we have had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And that will continue to grow within you. The 12-step program has been called a Bridge to Normal Living. And that bridge spans the chasm between the shriveled, suppressed people that we were, living in the half-light of our addiction, and the place we are finding ourselves in now, because the Bible describes all of us as children of light, who are becoming increasingly fulfilled, creative and contented. we now find that actually we've we've got a growing circle of friends. Our consciences are clear. We're at peace with God and our world. We've been reconciled, maybe, to some who we thought we had fallen out with for life. And daily, we are empowered to deal with the difficulties that this world throws at us. Once upon a time, all we could see were overwhelming problems. But now, we're actually armed with solutions and fresh opportunities. Instead of living with fear and despair, we're now beginning to live a life with freedom, faith, hope, gratitude, joy and peace. At all times and in all places, We have this loving God who is with us and for us. We're told we have his son Jesus who is guiding us and praying for us. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is constantly praying for us. That's astonishing. And finally, there's his Holy Spirit who on a daily basis empowers us if we want him to. All we have to do is ask. It's madness, really, that we don't do these simple things. If we want to be empowered by God to change, the prayer, God, please send your spirit on me now to change me, works. It isn't any more difficult than that. If we don't ask, we don't get it. If we do ask, we do get it. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And it is too good, but it is also true. If that's not a spiritual awakening, then I don't know what is. At the wedding of the British Royal Prince William with Kate Middleton, the Bishop of London, Richard Chartus, opened his sermon in Westminster Abbey with a quote from the 14th century mystic Catherine of Siena. And he said this, struck me at the time, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Jesus did not die For you to pretend you're something that you're not. When we take off the mask, we will set the world on fire. Maybe our own little world, but it is our own little world that we'll set on fire. Now many of us on this course, if you're like me, we probably feel that we are too mad, too flaky, too chaotic, too unsorted to be of any help to anyone else on their road to recovery. And in that case, I'd like to finish with a quote. from Actually, it comes from an Apple Computers advertisement, which itself was based on some words by the novelist Jack Kerouac from his novel On the Road. And I believe that this advertising quote reveals the very heart of God for every single Person on this course. And bizarrely, I also think it has echoes of those words of St. Catherine of Siena. So St. Catherine said this be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. Apple computers say this here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels. The troublemakers, the round heads in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. But the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. You can help change someone else's world. That's it, I think you've been brilliant. The end. I'm going to clap you guys. Tea, coffee, small groups, thanks ever so much.